1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 16 is our text this morning. Uh, By now, many of you have heard that uh, this week, Ed Head, one of our members, went to be with the Lord. Um, Please pray for Gene, his widow. Uh, We are not sure yet if the uh, funeral service will be uh, a public service or not on uh, October 9th, but, but we will... Uh, get that information to you in the uh, coming days as we get it. Uh, but pray for Ed, so long uh, an instructor at Gunsight Academy and uh, along with a number of other various things in his life. But uh, it's been really sweet to see the work God has done in Ed's life uh, over the past couple of years. God brought him to a place of spiritual knowledge and maturity unlike he would had previously in his life. Uh, over the last couple of years, and so we praise the Lord that He brought him to a greater understanding of uh, His truth before He went to heaven, and now He knows more than we do. <laughs> uh, he is with His Savior, so please pray with Gene. Uh, if you remember, Gene was baptized here within the last year or so. Great testimony um, of God's work in her life. Uh, I just want to also uh, thank you, the body. We talk a lot about Ephesians 4 in this church, how God gives pastors and teachers uh, to teach the saints, and then the saints then do the work of the ministry, and that is um, that has been done in the life of Gene and Ed. You, as a church, have cared for them so wonderfully. I, I've, I hear that multiple times a week in these last uh, few weeks as Ed has um, gotten close to going to heaven. And so thank you for the testimony of loving a brother and a sister. Um, Just so grateful for the work that you do week in and week out. So please pray for Jean. Continue prayers for her. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 16 is our text this morning. Please follow along as I read. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." title of this message is, We Have the Treasure of God's Wisdom. We have the treasure of God's wisdom. As we often talk about and demonstrate here at Canyon, if you want to understand the Bible, you've got to understand something of the first century. 
if it's a book written in the first century. You've got to understand things of earlier centuries if you're reading books written from the earlier centuries. But here in 1 Corinthians, uh, we have this letter written to a people in the first century, into, uh, written to a people of the Greco-Roman world. This people, uh, as many of you know in the Greco-Roman world, uh, this people had many gods. These people had uh, God here, God there, God here, God there, and these gods would war against each other, so to speak. They were always kind of seeing which God was more powerful. It's like teenagers and, and many adults do today with superhero movies, which one could defeat the other. That was the way they thought throughout so much of life. And uh, we, we know that, many of us know that from our knowledge of first century uh, Greco-Roman culture. We know that there were polytheistic many gods, as many cultures and times have been. But it's important to note they also believed that there was some like super god, father-like god, bigger god than all the rest. See, their god structure it was like a pyramid. There was a god up top, and they were trying to understand him. So that's, that's the context with which Paul writes so much of his, of his instruction to the first century church here in Corinth. That, that thought culturally was out there, that there is some greater being out there. There's a book by Michael Green. It's well known. It's, been, it's a few decades old now. It's called Evangelism in the Early Church, and he talks about uh, the culture of that day and what they believed about gods. And one sentence, just to kind of give you an insight into that, says this, the world was groping their way toward a single supreme deity, trying to feel their way toward a single supreme deity who governs the whole universe through thought. See, they were trying to figure out what is in the mind of this single supreme deity. What does he think? What does he want us to know? That's why they prized philosophy so much, and it was connected to their religion. What's this single supreme deity trying to communicate to us? How does he want us to think? It's in light of that that this book is written. Listen to Plato, the philosopher, not a Christian. Plato said this, to find the maker and father of the universe is a hard task. And when you found him, it's impossible to make him known. That's, that was the thinking of the day. It's hard to figure out just what this maker is like, what he desires. And so, we come to a passage today that says God, the, this Father, this maker of the universe, has made himself known to his people by the power of his Spirit. Not everybody knows God and what God says. But Paul tells the Corinthian Christians, and it's true for us today, we know what God is like and what he says. Talk about privilege. God has made himself known to his people. We can know spiritual wisdom, spiritual insight. And this wisdom cannot be achieved by human merit or human achievement. You can go to the Prescott Library and read all of the books there that are somehow disconnected from biblical truth, and you will be no closer to God. It's by understanding God's message, what he says, that we come to know him. Why is this important today? Okay, we kind of know that. Big deal. Well, because people today still think they can be right with God in some way other than through the cross of Jesus Christ. You, you all may have family and friends that you know, and you ask about their relationship with God, and they say, it's good. And if you ask them to explain what their relationship was like with God, and you said, I'll give you an hour, just talk to me. 
What's your relationship like with God? They might go an hour and never mention the cross of Jesus Christ, which is the means by which God unites himself to man in peace. Sinners see the crucified Savior Jesus Christ, see what he's done for them on the cross. They realize that their sin is what should be punished, but their sin is punished on Jesus Christ and not on them. And they have faith that Jesus died for them and came to give them his righteousness, and they trust that, and that's what brings them to God. But a lot of the world thinks that they're right with God apart from that message. And the Bible teaches that they are not right with God, because you don't get right with God by your own human achievement or by philosophy. You're right with God because of you embracing what he sent his son to do on the cross. So the world is full of people who think that they are spiritual, right with some deity out there that they know probably exists. They think that they're okay with him because, fill in the blank, they're better than their neighbor, they, they look at the right horoscopes, whatever it may be. They have all these views that teaches them to believe that they can be right with God, and that's simply not true unless it's through knowing and trusting Jesus Christ. But there's another reason this passage is important. It's important for Christians. For Christians, knowledge of God is meant to humble us. Throughout this letter, we will see that the Corinthians took their knowledge of what God said, and that brought about certain divisions in their church, and they used their knowledge to actually harm one another. So, knowledge of God is a gift and a responsibility. Knowledge of God is meant to humble us and to keep us learning rather than operating as the world does and sowing division among Christ's body. So, we know that we're saved through the gospel but now we continue to operate like the world does when they have conflict, and we create divisions in God's body. Well, the knowledge of God is meant to inform how we treat one another and live with one another and love one another, 1 Corinthians 13. So, it's important to see this morning the, the beauty of the fact that we have God's knowledge, but also to realize that means something for us. We should continue to know what God says so that we can operate with one another in a right way. Again, this group is divided over their leaders. They literally believe that it is better for people to hear Apollos rather than Paul because Apollos has this eloquent wisdom and it's best to learn from him. And some people believe it's better to listen to Paul. Some people believe it's better to listen to Peter. And Paul's argument throughout this section is, listen, all of those people, myself included, Paul's saying, are servants of God, servants through whom you believed. I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one that gives the growth. Stop dividing over your leaders and see that God is working through them because He is powerful and He is gracious. That's what Paul is trying to communicate to them. God will use various leaders, mouthpieces, representatives, whatever term you want, to proclaim His saving gospel, but the ability to understand and respond to that gospel is because of His power. Not Paul's, not Peter's, not Apollos's, not your favorite preacher today. The reason people believe is because God is generous and gives the Holy Spirit to open eyes. To God be the glory alone for the fact that people are saved and understand His spiritual wisdom, spiritual insight. So, 
for our outline this morning, two points. We'll frame it with this question. Why do we have the treasures of spiritual wisdom? Why do we have the treasures of spiritual wisdom? Why do we know about the future of the world? Why do we know that we can be right with God through Jesus Christ? Why do we know all of this? We'll answer that in two points this morning. First point, verses 6 to 13. God the Father has decreed that we would have spiritual wisdom. God, this benevolent Father, this giving Father, has decreed that we would have spiritual wisdom. Verse 6, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So, Paul's saying he's calling the Corinthians mature here. Now, now, Mark it down because so often in this book, he doesn't refer to them as mature, okay? He's calling them mature, and here's the reason why. He's comparing them to the rest of the world. You're mature, Corinthians, you're mature because you have spiritual wisdom given to you by God. The rest of the world, they think they're wise and mature and all-knowing, but they're not. They don't know the truth about how man can be right with God. They don't understand God. You, compared to them, are mature. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom. We, the apostles, share wisdom with you, Corinthian believers. You are the mature. You know God. You have His thoughts. And it's not a wisdom that they're sharing, that Paul's sharing or the apostles are sharing, that is reflective of the wisdom of this age or the rulers of the world who are doomed to pass away. So it's not the rulers of the world that possess all of this wisdom It's not them that Paul's preaching. Oh, look at what Aristotle says. Look at what Plato says. Look at what your favorite political philosopher today in 2022 says. Paul's not there to talk about that wisdom. Those people will pass away. That wisdom will pass away. God's coming to talk about, or Paul's coming to talk about, and the apostles are, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the wisdom of God. 1 Peter 1. 23 to 24. You can just listen to this passage. All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of that grass. So all human beings are like grass. You know what grass does, right? It grows, and then it dies. And its glory, the the glory of flesh, even the greatest among the grass, the greatest orators and speakers and the people with all the podcasts or whatever it may be. They're like the flower of that grass. Look at him. Look at her. Have you heard what she said? Have you read his book? All flesh is like grass, and it's glory like the flower of that grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So Paul's saying, we came to impart a wisdom to you Corinthians. That's why he's referring to them as mature, a wisdom that's from God, not from the leaders of this world, not from the world. That's passing away. They are passing away. Verse 7, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. They were very much into secret and hidden wisdom in the first century. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory So Paul's saying there is a secret message that God has planned to give to his people before the ages, before creation. So the plan of God to have a son die on a cross for sinners was conceived before the ages. And that's that secret wisdom. And God decreed it before the ages for our glory, for for our greatness, for us to be 
cared for and brought into the glory of the Father and the Son to enjoy that relationship with Him. So there's the secret wisdom, Paul says, that we have. God decreed it before the ages for our glory. And none of the rulers understood this because if they, if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. So get what he's saying here. There's this secret wisdom. It's behind that curtain, okay? The secret piece of information back here. And we've brought it out. It's been put on display. And the world looked at it. It was Jesus on a cross and coming out of the empty tomb, dying for sinners, rising again in their place. The world looks at that and says, that's stupid. I don't believe that. It's folly. They didn't see the greatness of who Jesus was and what he came to do, so they crucified him. They killed him. They killed the Lord of glory. God brought out this information to the world and says, here it is. And they said, kill him. So it's a secret wisdom that the world doesn't get. They don't get why it's glorious. They don't get why it's, why it's wonderful. And then he quotes in chapter, I'm sorry, in verse 9, he quotes Isaiah again, as he so often does. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So God has something prepared for people. And here's how you don't understand it. You don't see it, what no eye has seen. No eye can go out and look anywhere and understand God's whole salvation plan. You can't, you can't go to the Grand Canyon, look out and go, ah, I get it. God comes down in human flesh, lives a perfect life that I could not live, dies in my place, and I get his righteousness, and I will be forever with him. You can't see that by going to the Grand Canyon. No eye has seen that information. No ear has heard of it apart from God's revelation. The heart of man can't imagine that. You can't conjure that up. Sorry, Plato. I know you're smart. I know a lot of people still read you today. You cannot conjure that up. No heart can imagine that. No, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. You need to have spiritual lenses, spiritual eyes to see the beauty of Jesus Christ on a cross for you. And God has revealed those things to us through the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So Plato's saying, God's hard to understand. And Paul's saying, that's right. And there's one that understands him. And it's not Cicero, it's not Aristotle. Again, it's not your favorite podcaster today that can understand God apart from his revelation. The Holy Spirit knows God intimately. The Spirit, one of the persons of the Trinity, one of the persons of the God. The Holy Spirit of God knows the mind of God the Father like no other. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? You know when your spouse is quiet, you know something's wrong, you just don't know what, and you know them better than anybody else on the planet, and you've been married for 55 years. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? I don't know, because a person's spirit knows what they're thinking inside them, nobody else. If I asked you to look around the room and said, look at the person kind of across from you or next to you, what are they thinking? You wouldn't know. I don't know. 
Of course, because only the spirit of a person knows what they're thinking. So the point is, so how can man and woman, natural man and natural woman, know the thoughts of God? It's a futile effort to try to know them on your own apart from His revelation. You can't know Him. You can't understand His thoughts. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, verse 11, which is in him. So also no one can comprehend the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God. So only the spirit can know exactly what the Father is thinking and planning and doing. And Paul says that spirit is what we've received. Now, we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God. So, God sent the spirit to us to open our eyes so that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Do you hear hear the benevolence of God here? I'm literally asking you, do you hear the benevolence of God here? (laughs) I just want to know that you're tracking. Is this? Okay. The Spirit of God knows the heart of God. God determines to send that Spirit to us so that we would know what God is like and what He desires and what He's done. And it says that, verse 12 again, now we've received the Spirit not of the world, but the Spirit is from God so that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Our God is a giving God by nature. Our God is a sharing God by nature. Look at the gods of the world. Look at Allah, the single person deity who you do not think of as having a relationship with. Look at the gods of this world who call their people to service and, and lives of hardship and earning their favor with this God. And God is the one who sends His Spirit to open up the eyes of sinners and to see His gift of His Son to them. Our God is a giving God. Our God is a loving God. Our God loves His Son from eternity past. The Son loves the Father from eternity past. Why did God create the world? Oh, He probably was lonely. No, don't believe that garbage. You can find that somewhere in a Christian bookstore, I bet. That's not true. He didn't create the world because he was lonely. He created the world because he, by nature, gives. And he created a world to give to to his creatures so they might share in his glory and joy. And then those creatures rebel against him. And so what does he do? He gives. He gives his son to die for those rebels like me and you. He gave His Son for us. He gave a groom to a rebellious bride, and the groom pursued that bride and brought her to Himself. Why? Because God the Father gives. He's a giver. He loves. Love gives. And He gave the Son And He gave the Spirit who makes the Son known to us. And He gives us spiritual wisdom and insight so that we know how to evaluate the world today. We know how to live with one another today. We know that regardless of whatever the next election or the next 50 elections say, Jesus is coming again and He rules and reigns and will be with Him forever. He gives us that knowledge because He's good. We are so privileged to know the mind of God. So Paul says in verse 13, 
and we, the apostolic band, me, Apollos, Peter, all of us, John included, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. Guys, Christians, don't be so enamored with human wisdom. We're teaching you things not by human wisdom, but taught by the Holy Spirit. We are interpreting spiritual truths. We're trying to help you make sense of spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. You are spiritual. You can understand spiritual truths, so we teach you spiritual things because you can't understand them, is what Paul's saying. You're a privileged people. So God has decreed that we would be recipients of His wisdom. And I just want to show you, make sure we're all clear about this, how this happens in real space and time. Okay, so turn, if you will, to John 16. Now, I'll remind you as you're turning, you and I were not in the upper room, okay? I don't think you need that reminder, but just in case, we were not there that night, the night before Jesus would die. So, this passage here isn't written to us as the primary audience. That's important to understand, okay? It's important when you understand the Bible, when you come to any passage, any, any particular text, that you understand it in the light of the big picture of the biblical context, okay? So what's Jesus doing here when he says these words in John 16, verse 12? Listen, Jesus says this, again, not to us, we weren't there. He says this to his disciples, I still have many things to say to you. Now, he's going to die soon. And he's not going to tell them all these things before he dies. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You can't understand them now. It's not time. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth because he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to die. I've got a lot more to tell you guys. You can't handle it right now. After I die, I'm going to, sp- I'm going to send the Spirit of truth. Other, other places called the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Spirit of truth to guide you into this wisdom that you need, to this truth that you need to know. Verse 14, He will glorify me. So when the Spirit teaches these apostles, it's going to be with Jesus at the center of the message. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now listen to this. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Father has this message that his son is going to die for people, bring them to himself. He's going to lead them home. God the Father has a plan. Jesus came and achieved that salvation. And now, after Jesus dies, rises, and goes back to heaven, the Holy Spirit is going to come, teach these apostles about this truth, and these apostles are going to start spreading it throughout the world. That's what Jesus is saying here. So the Father has given Jesus this truth. Jesus has taught this truth to an extent to his followers. He's achieved salvation. And then he says, we're not done yet. I'm going to keep teaching through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to come to you, Peter. Peter, you're going to write something one day. John, you're going to write a few letters one day and a gospel. Even Paul, who wasn't there in that room, still would be an apostle. He's going to write things. 
And so they're going to take what the Holy Spirit teaches them, and they're going to teach people about Christ and the plan of God to save people and what God wants His people to be like. The Holy Spirit was going to teach the apostles, and the apostles then were going to teach the church. That's what Jesus is doing there the night before He died. So, the fact that you have, you and I have, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and so on and so forth, is an amazing fulfillment of prophecy that comes from John 16. The Holy Spirit came to those men, and Jesus kept teaching those men more truth that we need to understand while we wait for Jesus to come back and finally bring us home. That's what the epistles are, the rest of the New Testament is. It's a gift from God through the Holy Spirit about His Son's life and ministry. So I don't want you to miss this. God is a God who gives wisdom, declares wisdom, teaches His people, shares information, makes available understanding, guides people, instructs people, shares, enlightens. That is our God. He's the giver of a message, the giver of teaching. And we get to be the recipients of that. So again, just to summarize, God determined to save a people by the death and resurrection of His Son. Jesus the Son came and achieved salvation. The Son appoints messengers, the apostles, to proclaim this message. That's why in 1 Corinthians 1.23, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. Why do the apostles preach that message? Because the Spirit told them that's the message you preach. We preach Christ crucified. That's what God wants the world to know. And then people believe this message, repent of their sins, and they love God. They trust in Him for salvation. And then the apostles continue to teach the people of God who are called to adhere to the Word as they are matured, to become mature by adhering to the Word of God. So you see why Paul tells the Corinthians, you are a mature people compared to the rest of the world. You have something special from God the Father. You have His message of salvation and the way that He calls you to live in this world. I want to give you a, two illustrations, one negative example and one positive example of this reality. The fact that we have seriously a treasure given to us the wisdom of God right in front of us is something that we should adhere to. I mean, in this book, again, as I told you, Paul's telling the Corinthians, you have this knowledge, but don't use your knowledge for these purposes. The knowledge should be used for good, not for evil. And so, this knowledge brings a certain responsibility to us, it's a privilege to have the knowledge of God, right? It's a privilege to be able to open your Bible and understand what He thinks about something and what He says, isn't it? I mean, am I alone here? Amen? Anybody? Okay, all right. just want to know you're awake. Okay. It's a privilege to have this. I'm going to give you the positive example first. I think of this church and so many of you who, are, who dive into the Scriptures to know what God says. You buy things like commentaries. Who buys commentaries? Who, who buys things to try to understand the Bible better? You do. I praise the Lord for that. 
This is a church that for the last seven and a half years has been hungry to understand the mind of God, the Word of God, and to live accordingly, not just, oh, I understand that, now I'll just sit back and nothing will change. No, to, to pattern your life after what God says. So I praise the Lord for that positive example. Now, the Word of God has been given, but there are some out there that, that treat it as if it's not something valuable or precious. My family and I were driving to California last year, and we stopped at a sandwich place in Palm Springs, and uh, we saw a guy there with a shirt, uh, or maybe he saw one of our shirts. So- somehow, it, one of us was wearing something with Prescott on it, and we realized we were both from Prescott. Our family's from Prescott, him and his wife are from Prescott, and it turns out that they went to a local church nearby, and it was like, oh, that's great, and and this guy made this comment that I just wanted to be careful that our family didn't agree with. <laughs> and he said, oh, my wife here, she's the one that does all the Bible study stuff, not me. I don't know why he said that. Uh, people kind of get all their cards on the table when they find out you're a pastor, but I don't know why he said that. But that's what he said. And we were a sweet couple. They walked away, and we just made it clear to our boys, that right there, guys, is sad, She's the one that does the Bible study, not me. Why? Why is it somehow not manly to study the Bible? Why, why do you not need it? I mean, I, we can think of 30 questions here for this guy. But there is this thought out there that uh, other people kind of dig into the Scriptures, not me. We have treasure from heaven. We have the mind of God that guides us into how to parent, how to deal with enemies, how to deal with the government, how to hope for the future. We have such a treasure given to us. I think it's important to realize how privileged we've been. And again, I praise the Lord because that is the testimony of so many here, wanting to know what God says. So God the Father has decreed that we would have spiritual wisdom. Second point, Last few verses, God the Spirit has illuminated our minds to spiritual wisdom. So God's decreed that His people would know it, but God the Spirit is the one that opens minds so that we understand it. Some of you have this testimony. You maybe grew up in a Christian household or a Christian environment, and you kind of read your Bible and didn't really understand it very much. That was my testimony. I remember going to a Christian bookstore as a freshman in college and kind of looking at stuff, and I just, ah, I don't get it. But then when God saved me, He didn't just say, you're forgiven of your sins. He, by His Spirit, opens your eyes to spiritual truth. And you know this. As a new believer, you all of a sudden are hungry for the Word, right? You're hungry for the Bible. You know that. If you're a Christian, you understand that idea. Oh my goodness, that's what that means? Oh my goodness, that's what that teaches? Your eyes are opened. The Bible says it right here in these verses that it's the Holy Spirit that illuminates, sheds light upon our minds so that we would understand God's wisdom. Verse 14, the natural person though, the person who's not a Christian, the person who hasn't had their eyes open, the person like Plato who's just searching for wisdom from God, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are folly to him. 
Now, again, that phrase right there does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, the things of the Spirit of God. What are the things of the Spirit of God? You could say, well, it's the Scriptures, certainly, but more precise, the things related to the gospel, the things related to the cross of Christ. They don't accept the things related to the cross of Christ. They don't accept that message for salvation. In fact, those things are, verse 14, folly to him. And we know what he's talking about because earlier we studied, chapter 1, verse 18, that the word of the cross, the message of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. So the natural person, you, you, you take a natural person at a coffee shop in Prescott, Arizona, and you tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are just in their own mind, the Holy Spirit is not who governs their thoughts, they, they haven't been converted. The natural person, when you, through tears, talk about Jesus dying for you on a cross, they just keep sipping their coffee. They don't get the beauty of that. They don't get it. No, 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 he died and rose again, and he's coming again. I'm secure because of his death. That's great for you. No, that's the natural person. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are folly to him. And the rest of the verse, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned or spiritually understood. So you need the Spirit to understand them. So they not only think they're folly, they can't understand them because the Spirit is the one that has to give life. Listen to Romans 8, 7 and 9. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So it's angry and it cannot submit. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So the natural person does not get the beauty of the gospel, does not get the glory of Jesus Christ. They don't understand it because they think it's foolish. They've been rejecting God all along ever since they were born. It's foolishness to them. It's folly to them. They'd rather have their own sin. And to understand the things of God, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to open your eyes. When we say that salvation is from the Lord as if He's the one that initiates it, we actually mean that. He's got to open the eyes. And he doesn't owe anybody on the planet open eyes. He's good to give people eyes that are open. He's good to open their eyes. But the natural person does not get it. Have you ever watched the news and thought, why do those people think that? Right here. The natural person doesn't understand the ways of God, the things of God. They're spiritually understood, and they can't understand because they don't have the Spirit. But the natural person has an opinion on God, right? Plato has an opinion on God. Think of a pastor that I heard recently talking about this passage, and he was invited to a large civic gathering in, in his city, a lot of business leaders and things like that, and they invited him, and he prayed before this, this meeting, and… Uh, he sits down at the table for, for dinner, and one of the 
unbelieving businessman says, tell me more about what you do as a pastor. And so they had definitely built a rapport over dinner and were uh, chatting, and this uh, pastor told him about his pastoral ministry. And in telling him about it, he tells him about Christ and what Christ came to do and what this pastor uh, does to proclaim that message. And, and so he talks about salvation and sin and repentance and Christ and His glory and forgiveness and all of that. And, and this guy, again, unbelieving guy, says, I don't like to think of God like that, to which this pastor with a smirk says, and what gives you the credentials to have an opinion on that? It's, so what? Again, they had a good rapport going, so he could say something like that. But the point is, the world thinks, like, I, don't, I, I have a negative opinion of that message. I, I don't like to be told that I'm a sinner or that I need Christ or whatever it may be, or that I can't achieve rightness with God on my own. I don't like that opinion, but okay. Why do you think you're qualified to give that opinion? Verse 15, the spiritual person now, he's talked about the natural person that doesn't understand, but now the spiritual person judges all things. That word judge, maybe a better term is evaluate here. The spiritual person evaluates all things. What Paul's saying is, now that we are spiritual, we have the mind of the Holy Spirit, we see things differently. We take all things and we evaluate them according to what God says. So, here's a real-life example. Some of you young people, um, some of you young people who have been saved, converted, and this is a testimony with, with young people when they're saved young. They, they're angry at their parents. They don't want to obey their parents. They… they whatever it may be. There's this kind of fight back and forth. A lot of times when conversion happens in the life of a young person, they see their parents differently, their commands differently. doesn't mean they obey perfectly all the time, but there's a, there's a different disposition now. That's an example of conversion, a spiritual person evaluating things according to God's Word and not just their own passions and desires. The spiritual person takes things going on on, in the news or at work or at home, and they start to evaluate them spiritually, not with fleshly responses. This is what happens to Christians. The spiritual person judges all things, evaluates all things, but is himself to be evaluated or judged by no one. He has a judge, and it's God. That'll come into play later on in a couple chapters when Paul defends himself because he's being judged or evaluated by all these wrong-thinking people in Corinth. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And then verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? What natural man has said, God, this is how you should do these things? No one. It's a rhetorical question. No one. Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, Corinthian believers, we have the mind of Christ. What, what a statement that I can't do justice to this morning. We have the mind of Christ. What a grace that is. What a privilege that is. We have the mind of Christ. The natural man will try to give God advice or say how God should operate. Who can do that? But we actually have the mind of Christ. Why? 
because it's been given to us. We've been graced with it. We've been privileged to have it. Now, I'm just going to give you a heads up for next week, because right now we stop right here, and we with the Corinthians go, that's right. We are the mature of this world who get it. We understand what's going on. Look at chapter 3, verse 1, very next verse. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. So you are mature, but you're acting fleshly. You're acting immature. Verse 1 of chapter 3, couldn't address you as spiritual people, as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely, are you not being merely human? So here's a principle here. People graced with the knowledge of God and His ways don't always operate as if they've been graced with the knowledge of God and His ways. People who've been made mature by Him in terms of what the world knows compared to what the world knows don't always demonstrate that maturity. Myself included, you included, so it's good just to realize that. But today, I, we'll get there next week. <laughs> today, I want you to glory in what God has done to glory in the fact that you've been the recipient of the Spirit of God that's opened your eyes to spiritual truth. The things you understand are because He is good. Did, did you catch the fact that in this passage today, all three members of the Trinity are there and they've all served us? Think about it. God the Father had a plan to give you spiritual information that will impact your eternity because He's good. The Lord of glory was crucified, verse 8, crucified for us. So the Father has given to us, the Son has given to us, and notice the Spirit opens our eyes and gives us the spiritual truth to understand. Look at the benevolent love of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we're the recipients of it. We sing this song often. Oh, great God, listen to this verse. I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys. Then your spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me. Through the gospel of your son, gave me endless hope and peace. Praise God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Few years ago, I don't know. This is my, I say few. That's what happens when you're old. It was probably 15. Uh, we were at church, and uh, I glanced at the title of the sermon, and the title of the sermon was "Why I Believe the Bible Is True." And I, I, I guess I didn't look at the text. I don't remember looking at the text of the sermon or the, the, the Scripture reference. I just remember the title, Why I Believe the Bible is True. And I thought it would be a sermon about biblical prophecy. Well, look, Isaiah prophesied about Cyrus 
Hundreds of years later, a man named Cyrus came and did exactly what Isaiah prophesied. So you can believe that the Bible's true. I thought it was going to be a sermon like that, which has its place. Or the Bible has changed my life. The Bible is true. There's a place for that. But that's not what the sermon was. The sermon was from our passage today, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Why do I believe the Bible's true? Because the Holy Spirit's opened my eyes. That was the message. So friend, why do you believe that the Bible is true? Because of God. Because of His goodness in giving the Spirit. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank You for your eternal and precious and true word. Thank you for opening our eyes. We pray that eyes would increasingly be opened to spiritual truths, namely the truths about your love for us and your son, Jesus Christ. But Father, I pray in advance of next week's passage that we would be a people who thanks you for truth and seeks to keep operating by it seeks to use that truth to edify one another, to build up one another, not to tear down and destroy. Make us a people who show you our appreciation to you for your truth by adhering to your truth. We love you, and we're so privileged to know what we know. Please keep teaching us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.